Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in a new book of the Bible. We're looking at Joshua back in the Old Testament and back in narrative. This is one of the books of the Bible that just tells story after story, what happened next, what happened next. These are the things that you put in the children's storybooks. Um, of course, if you put chapter two in the children's storybook, you have to explain um, what the occupation of Rahab was, which might be a little bit awkward, but that's what we're looking at today here in Joshua chapter two. It's that famous story of how Rahab from Jericho hid the spies. Um, the, the context here, right, is we, we saw this last time. Uh, Joshua, who is now operating as the commander of the Israelites, sends out uh, the spies to check out the city of Jericho. He's been... Um, you know, he's, he's actually got this confirmation we're going to see um, from God that, you know, he's going to be given the city into his hand. And so we've got the spies going out. And yeah, it's it's drama. It's, you know, the, the soldiers coming up to her door. Where are these men? Right. It's uh, I think it's one of these um, much beloved stories and how she hides them on the roof and all the rest and then lets them uh, down by a rope out through the window. So really, really cool story. Um, but, you know, there's a lot going on. It's not just a fun story. Right. It's not just something that would make an interesting movie or television series. Uh, and so looking at those things today as well. Joining us, we have one of our returning guests. Uh, we had him back um, when we were going through the book of Isaiah. We have Pastor Rolf Preuss, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sydney and St. John Lutheran Church in Fairview, Montana. Good morning, brother. How are you? How are things in Sydney and Fairview? Uh, good morning. It's good to good to be with you. Well, things are pretty cold. I it's about ten below zero right now, Ooh. and uh, we're enjoying uh, uh, beautiful white outdoors, bright blue uh -huh. sky, and uh, waiting for Lent before you know it. <laughs> right, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh man, ten below zero. I, mean, I don't think there's many places in the country, like save Alaska, that are any colder than that. Yeah, well, it, we get the deep freeze in here in January, but uh, it's, it's uh, I've lived in colder places, so we're kind of used to it. Oh, so you've lived in Siberia, my goodness. <laughs> no, actually, eastern, uh, uh, northwest Minnesota and eastern North Dakota is a little bit colder than... Oh, you'd say here. that's even colder. Wow, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, well... Yes. Um, yeah, it is right around the corner. I, I still can't believe that it's already January 15th. We're already halfway through January. You know, it feels like the, the new year just started, but here we are halfway through the month. But uh, this story here in Joshua chapter two, it's um, I, I feel like this is one of these stories where it's like uh, there, there's a lot of familiarity like oh yeah everyone knows the story of how rahab told the, or hid the spies right and she like tricked the the soldiers she goes and tells them that fib and they go running away and all this um but there's a lot of details in chapter two that i think we totally have forgotten about there's there's a lot to it um more than meets the eye what do you think well yeah i think that uh there are things that would would demonstrate uh rahab's faith that maybe if you just skim over it, you you wouldn't see this, but she clearly, she she knows who Yahweh is, and she she expresses her faith 
in the, the Lord in a variety of ways, as, as we'll see as we go through this. But, and then, of course, of course, both uh, the epistle to, to the Hebrews and James uh, specifically mention her. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's, her, it's her faith that uh, is displayed and uh, it's really very, uh, I think it's a very moving story when you get that theological undercurrent here, you know, not just the outward facts. Very good. I'm liking what you're saying, that, you know, faith really jumps out at us again. We saw that yesterday in Joshua chapter 1, that, you know, it's it's not, as we might be tempted to summarize it, like, you know, wow, Joshua is like so brave and courageous, right? Be bold and courageous. Yeah, Joshua is just a brave warrior. They won't know it's, it's about faith, that Joshua has faith that God's going to be with him like Moses, that God's going to keep his promises. I mean, that's why he's the one who's um, in charge right here, right? Because he was one of the two faithful spies along with Caleb who had faith um, that despite the appearances, right, despite the apparent odds, that God was going to take care of things for them. And, and then you also see then the Reubenites, um, among others, who answer in faith and who trust in faith that God's going to be with Joshua the same way he was like with Moses. So, you know, faith, faith, faith is just uh, very preeminent in these first two chapters. And I think you're right that that that's what's going on here too, is that the story is being told not just in a very good storytelling way as it is, but to highlight um, that, that Rahab actually has faith and that there are other people um, who have faith in the God of Israel. Well, let's go ahead and get started reading. As we do, would you say a prayer, brother, for us and for everyone listening today? Okay, let us, uh, let us pray. Uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have given us the Holy Scriptures for our learning, and we pray today that you would open our eyes of our hearts and minds to see your saving truth that the faithfulness you show to us today is the same faithfulness you showed to your people many, many years ago. Uh, strengthen us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, that we may find in you our salvation and our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, as we go through the Old Testament, just seeing how Christ is there throughout. And, and we talked about this yesterday, that, you know, whenever you see Joshua, you know, that, that there's that name, right? I mean, that's that's Jesus. Yeah. And so um, it, it's interesting, you know, Joshua isn't, um, you know, front and center here, but it is interesting because the story does literally begin and end with Joshua um, as the one who is sending the spies and receiving them back. So it'll be interesting to consider also um, how our Lord Jesus is seen prefigured in this story as well. But uh, one step at a time, let's, um, let, let's look at just the first few verses and just to get the ball rolling and we can kind of ask the question, okay, what's the situation? Uh, I just want to read just um Really, really, actually, just the first verse here, because there's kind of a really significant question that is easy to skip right over, but we should we should ask it. Um, so here's Joshua chapter two, the first verse from the English Standard Version, the ESV. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So here's the, the situation, right? So Joshua's sending out the, some spies to check things out, especially the city of Jericho. And uh, that maybe makes sense. Um, you know, he himself, as we mentioned, what served as a spy, right? Um, so that, you know, that makes sense. You're just kind of gathering intelligence, especially just getting the lay of the land. If you're going to be marching around, it's good to good to know where things are. Sure, get your bearings straight. But I got to say, uh, the, the, the first thing that you read is that they go and they, they go into the house of a prostitute. And it's sort of like, now, hang on. What are two Israelite men doing going into the house of a prostitute? Like, the, I mean, it's, we sometimes skip over that. We're like, oh, yeah, Rahab was good and hid them. But, like, they first had to go into her house. And, like, what were they doing there? What What are your thoughts, brother? Well, I, 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 think, uh, I think we should put the best construction on things. And uh, uh, that, uh, yeah, she's, she is a—it calls her a prostitute, calls her a prostitute uh, also in the New Testament. Right. Um, but I would assume that uh, she uh, has a home where people have stayed. Uh, uh, it is a meeting place. Uh, it's kind of like if just kind of crossed my mind if you ever watched the old episodes of Gunsmoke and you got Kitty and you got that saloon where they hang out. Well, that's just where you go for information. That's where people right. hang out. It happens also to be a, you know, but uh, that doesn't mean the guys went there for that purpose. And uh, I'm assuming, too, it's right on the wall. So it would be a mm. convenient place. It's a place where they could get in and out easily mm -hmm. and not be stuck mm -hmm. in the middle of the city. So there, there are lots of lots of explanations as to why they stayed there that wouldn't have them going there in order to do right. immoral acts. Right. Well, I, I think, and I, I really actually like your comparison to uh, the saloon in Gunsmoke, because I, I think if we kind of stop and take a, take a step back, I mean, like, we got to think about this. Was there like you know a best Western right for them to stay at right? I mean, could could they just drop right. in at like the local Hilton? Well, well, no, there were there were no hotel chains right. Um, they had no right. Airbnb app. Um, and, and actually, you know, some this is something we've talked a little bit uh, about before. But I mean, in this in these times, there were not really hotels as such. Um, like. If you were, went to a, a place to stay, uh, you would usually stay with your your relatives, um, the people that you knew. I mean that that's why when when we when we look carefully um, at the gospel accounts with Mary and Joseph, like a lot of people have said, well, they actually were probably staying with Joseph's family, um, and that's what's meant by like the the upper room. But these guys, they obviously don't have family in Jericho, <laughs> right? This is the people of Israel. That's like you know a generation removed after marching up from Egypt. So where do they go? Well. There were places um, that kind of served as hotels, but they uh, kind of were, as you were saying, kind of like maybe like saloons. They were just kind of these places where travelers would kind of be hanging out at. And, um, well, realistically, they were also the, the town brothels. Um, so it, it's quite possible 
that uh, they're in Rahab's home as as a way of like this is just one of those uh, meeting places, and maybe it's been that way for years in the place of Jericho. Like you said, doesn't mean that's what she's doing anymore. You know, right. um, you know, she might be retired from that. Um, maybe not just because of her age. Maybe she's decided that's not something she wants to do anymore. Um, just because she was referred to that way doesn't mean that, that she's necessarily still doing it. As you mentioned, it's in the New Testament, kind of like it's almost, unfortunately, just her last name, which is just how it was. But I, I think, yeah, reading it that way, they went to this place and yeah, it, you know, it might have had a little bit of a sketchy side to it, too. But that doesn't mean that that's um, obviously what they were doing themselves. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, we like you say, we need to we need to understand they don't have the options available to us, and where are they supposed to stay? And right. uh, and and also, when you look at Rahab as a, as a person, she's identified as a prostitute, but then uh, as the as it develops here, you see evidence of her faith. Clearly, I mean, she's lived within a culture that is utterly godless, and the religion right. of the area, uh, right. where prostitution's part of their religion, you know. Right. And so uh, this would, when she became a believer, we should assume this is going to affect the way she's living her life. Right. So that's why right. I, so- would, I would assume that by now, you know, Moses, or excuse me, Joshua, the, they call her a prostitute, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that that is a descriptive of what she's doing at the time. This is right. how she's identified because she was one. Right. Yeah, and it's just, and I think that if we, if we also just kind of stop and think about it, you know, they didn't have last names. Um, that That's sort of a, a, a modern um, invention, this whole last name idea. If we look at our last names, many of them, um, you know, we have some last names that are based on, on places. Uh, my last name is based on a place, right? Like Espinosa refers to a land covered in hawthorn trees, right? Um, right. So we, we have, yeah, Espino is a hawthorn tree. And so it's like the, the Spanish equivalent of the last name Hawthorne, right? So we have a lot of last names that are connected to places. Um, and then we have a lot of last names that are connected to occupations. And we got last last people, uh, last names of people like Smith and Taylor and Cooper. Cooper is apparently like a barrel maker person who like binds the, the, the barrels together, right? Um, but th- there's, there's lots of last names like that. And so unfortunately, I, I think prostitute, um, had just become de facto Rahab's last name, essentially, regardless of what she was doing. And I think that when we look at the New Testament and referring to her that way, I, I think it's the same thing going on. It's not like, you know, she has this scarlet letter and she can never be forgiven, even in the eyes of the New Testament authors. No, it's just that was kind of unfortunately just kind of her name at this point. Um, and actually what we have is a is it's keeping with the same pattern we see in the Gospels, of the the, the prostitutes um, who are reformed are actually looked at um, favorably as examples of faith. Yeah, yeah, and of course it does stick it to the uh, to those who 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 are self righteous and don't believe in the free forgiveness of sins. They don't believe right. in God's grace, and the biblical author uh, is letting them know. Like I'm sure we'll get into this, but I just think it's kind of interesting that the women that Matthew chooses to mention in his genealogy and just kind of reminding people of where, you know, let's look at the line of the, of the, 
of the Messiah here and see who is mentioned and who's not mentioned. But they mention this one. Right. And, uh, I'll, and actually, that, that, that's actually a good um, segue just to, to go ahead and, and actually mention that, right? Um, but when you look at Matthew chapter 1, you have this genealogy of Jesus. That's the very first thing that is in the book of Matthew. We haven't looked at Matthew yet uh, together on Nice Strong, where we looked at John earlier. But in Matthew, you've got a genealogy instead of uh, John's uh, prologue. And yeah, um, Rahab is is mentioned in the genealogy. And that's really something that, you know, you, you have th- these two women, um, Rahab and Ruth, namely, who someone kind of, could like raise an eyebrow about like Ruth hang on wasn't like she like a Moabitess like like she wasn't even like a an Israelite by descent right and someone could be like right. Rahab what are you doing mentioning Rahab but it, I mean isn't that something as you were saying just to highlight that it, it's not um, as John said um, by flesh or blood or the decision of man but birth by God and by faith yeah yeah and you see the you see the, uh, the that the grace of God uh, is rules over all other all other considerations. This kind of gives us like when we think of the Christian faith, the Christian religion. What is it that God wants us to see uh, first and foremost? What is it? What is it that is the theme or the overarching emphasis? And um, this is where her identification as a prostitute, and then look at what she does. Look at her behavior. You see, this is this is God's grace working in the life of this woman, and uh, so we need to we need to see this. And so, and 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 that that, that we're, we don't worship. You know, we don't have want any plaster saints. You know, Saint Matthew mentions all these people, and also, right. I mean, I don't want to get off the point, but I just think it's interesting how he how he refers to. Uh, why does he have to mention? Uh, Bathsheba, and he doesn't mention her by name. He calls her mm. Uriah's wife. So why yeah. does Matthew have to say that? But it's like he's he's wanting to emphasize these are the people God has to deal with, you know. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's that's a good that's a good point. He, he he hasn't he hasn't like come out and say like Rahab the prostitute or Ruth the Moabitess in the genealogy, but he, but he does. Just use the oblique kind of, uh, you know, circumlocution, the wife of Uriah, like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, when, when it's uh, not obvious enough, the point that he's making, he goes and kind of just puts it right there, uh, certainly by faith, not by works. Well, uh, I appreciate you helping us flesh out the kind of the situation here in the first verse. We really should keep the ball rolling, though. Let's um, Let's go ahead and take it roughly to like the halfway point of the chapter. We want to make sure that we hit the halfway point before the break. Um, That goes through verse 14. So what I want to do is just kind of like go ahead and just read through this this first half of the story, and then we can kind of go back and uh, and make some different points. We can, you know, if we want to talk about some of the things going on, because there's stuff in verse 2 and verse 3 even, but just kind of get the story all together, and, and then we'll kind of circle around. So... Here we are picking it up after verse 1, picking up at verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, 
true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far out as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, uh, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So uh, just a very, very cool series. I mean, just a a lot of uh, kind of dramatic storytelling in that, you know, like as soon as they come into town, apparently the king himself gets word of it. There's a search and and Rahab, it deals with them very shrewdly, right? Just totally throws them off the trail. Um, But then you have this really, um, this sweet moment between her and the spies where just, I mean, the, the first her first mention is like her father right her parents um she's looking out for her family um i, I mean and, it, and it's and it's somewhere in the middle of all of this it we have this knowledge that the people of jericho have heard of you know i was kind of emphasizing this the lord they have heard of yahweh so i mean that's, that's quite remarkable that not only has news of the god of israel made it to jericho um but that that news and this word has has changed Rahab's heart and has moved her to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, it, that's a beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful story, and she uh, she demonstrates here. Um, you know, at first you say, look, you know, it says, uh, since we heard it, our hearts melted, and there's no spirit left in anyone. You know, like, yeah. well, this is just terror. This is just terror. But right. No, uh, as, you, as you go on, you see that she she believes in that Yahweh is is also is one who will save who will save them. Uh, she, right. she she's asking for salvation, so it's, it's not just terror at at what Yahweh has done to his enemies, but it's also uh, confidence that if she can be with the people of God, if she is of them, if she's uh, if Yahweh is her God, then she's safe. Then she's going to be, and her family. So it's really right. I, it's a it's a touching uh, illustration of of uh, how faith will will uh, change a person's a uh, change a person inside. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like you see that that you know, I mean, what does she say? Right? Like she doesn't say like. 
well, we heard about like how scary the God of Israel is. And I mean, he sounds honestly way stronger than the God of Jericho. So I'm, I'm switching sides. I'm jumping ship, right? Getting on the bandwagon yeah. here. That's not actually how she puts it, right? She, she says, you know, um, for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's, she's actually taking all of what's happened as, as signs that this is actually the true God. Um, and, and certainly we need to say more about that. But first, we got to go into our break here already at the time for the break. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Joshua chapter 2 here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 2. We're joined today by Pastor Rolf Preuss, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sydney and St. John Lutheran Church in Fairview in the chilly state of Montana, but not as chilly as some parts. <laughs> and we're looking at this story here of the spies sent out by Joshua, son of Nun, uh, to Rahab. Rahab, who has... Yeah, she's she's a person who um, ha, she's got a past, right? She was a prostitute. Uh, she's lived among um, the people of of Jericho, uh, which I mean, they were doing all kinds of terrible things. But she's a person who, like all of us, has been changed um, by faith, and and we and we see a little, we're talking about a little bit about how that person a person has changed, and we saw the evidence of that and in, in the things that she was saying. Um, I want to invite everyone, if you have any questions or comments, looking here at this new book, Joshua, looking at Joshua chapter 2, you can call in. If you have any thoughts or questions, 1-800-730-2727. If you're listening live in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. 
or if you, uh, regardless of where you are, you can always send an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, if you have a chance, uh, check out after the show, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, our underwriters. Thank you guys. They're at lhfmissions.org. So, yeah, we spent a little bit of time talking about verse one, talking about the significance of of the names um, in, in her identification of a prostitute. I had this one thought, and I wonder if you'll indulge me. I said what my last name means. What does what does Preuss mean? <laughs> you know, this is an interesting interesting question because we had always thought that Preuss was was simply Prussian that 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 one of our ancestors came to Norway from Prussia, huh? And uh, and then we just assumed that the double S they dropped an S when they huh. went to Norway, but I've got a. Let's see, my cousin's son teaches at the yeah. St. Louis Seminary. Did a little investigation, and the single S Preuss was a name given to Jewish converts. Oh. Huh. <laughs> so we aren't, I'm not one 512th German. I'm one 512th Jewish. Oh, wow. If that's, <laughs> if that's true. I, I don't know. But, uh, uh, it, but the, the, the word would mean Prussian, you know, Prussia, that's, that's what they would call it there. But I don't right. think we're, I don't think they came, um, they moved to Norway uh, in the early uh, 19th century, late, yeah, early 19th century. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. They've got, that, of, very... they've got a lot of German names in Norway, though. They've got, uh, right. uh, because of people just moving around. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, well, I mean, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and of course, uh, hang out in the LCMS long enough, you're certainly going to hear about the name Preuss here and there, <laughs> uh, more frequently than Espinosa, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but like we were saying, um, well, I think yeah, it these is last great na- that we have. I think it's great the Missouri Synod has names like Espinosa. I mean, that that means that we're not some kind of a of an immigrant sect here. We are a church body <laughs> that uh, that right. welcomes people yeah. from all over the place. Yeah, that's right. You don't you don't have to be a uh, German or one five hundred and twelfth Jewish or whatever the case may be, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, yeah, but thanks. But I think I think it's just uh, it kind of just further illustrates how many of us our last names reflect either like a place um, or uh, an occupation of our ancestors. Um, I know that that's like a thing of interest these days with so much of uh, like ancestry dot com and twenty three and me and all this, but but yeah, so we were we were looking here at this story, right? Rahab, who is called prostitute almost by way of a last name, um, but clearly that's not what she is anymore. She is someone who believes uh, not just that the God of Israel is a big scary God and maybe bigger and scarier than the God of Jericho, but you know, as she says there in verse eleven, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Um, and, and when you talk about heaven and earth, like in the same way that you do in Genesis chapter one, that is the, the Semitic idiom for everything, for the whole universe, the whole thing. Uh, that's their way of saying it. I mean, so, I mean, this is, I mean, quite the confession of faith, really, on the part of Rahab. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you want to uh, address it, but uh, let me just ask you, what do you think? When she lies, yeah. So, so we say you shouldn't be lying. Yeah. But yeah. here, this woman lies, and I think it—you know—from what I can see, she's commended for lying. Yeah. So 
So how do we how do we respond to people who who might say, hey, wait a second, I thought it was wrong to tell lies. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good question. I um I don't pretend to be like the authoritative ethicist on the question, but I mean I I sort of think about it like you know uh, consider like a soldier in the context of war, right? I mean they they have to like hurt people and even like kill people, and normally it's not okay to like hurt people and kill people and use violence and all of this. Right. Um, and, and really when, when we talk about it, um, we, we shouldn't really deceive ourselves into saying that when soldiers do all that, it's like, okay. Right. As if nothing is wrong with that picture. I mean, they're doing it and they're doing it to protect their families and to protect their country. And so it's the right thing to do in the context yet. We, we know in our heart of hearts that really this picture of war, it's not okay as if nothing's wrong. And, yeah, and so I, I think that similarly, that's what's going on here. She's lying. And in the context, it's, I, I would say, the right thing to do. She needs to protect these men. She's, she, the soldiers aren't going to be satisfied with her just being like, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, like she has, she has to say something to throw them off their trail. Um, and, yeah, and so I, in the context, I think she does the right thing because it's kind of like a war situation. Well, I mean, it actually is a war situation <laughs> because yeah. they're, they're coming to destroy the city. I mean, like Israel is at war with the inhabitants of Canaan. So, I mean, it, it is like, you know, um, I, I don't want to like say it's like, you know, it's all all's fair in love and war, but it's kind of like that. But yeah, that doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, it, it's like, OK, it's unfortunate that it came to that. But it's still the right thing to do in these sorts of extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, I, what, I, what are your well, I, I completely agree with you, and I and I and I think that here we think of the of uh, uh, love. What does love require? Love does no harm right. to the neighbor. Saint Paul, right? right. And so right. and so, um, you know, we always need to use that as kind of like a interpretive uh, principle in 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 applying God's law rather than in a, in a legalistic sense, what she is doing is saving the lives of, of, of these men. And, um, uh, but I just thought it kind of striking that, you know, she's identified as a prostitute, she lies, and through all of this stuff, God works his work. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, uh, it just, it's just, the, the, the way the story unfolds is that God uses her uh, to do what uh, what he wants to do in delivering his people, and yeah. that requires her to deceive this these people who are yeah. going to kill God. Yeah, God's right, exactly, yeah. I, I really do think she had to do it in this case. I mean, I, I feel like that maybe is the best way of putting it. It's not. It's not necessarily that it was, like, okay to do it, Right. In the sense that there's nothing wrong about lying, but she had to do it under the circumstances. And, and, I, and I think actually when you when you read the story, um, you get that sense that she is acting um, in an urgent situation. And in fact, I, I spent a couple of years now looking at, um, I mean, what might be refer, referred to as verbal morphology here, but the verse Four there, the verb in verse four, where it says the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. It's interesting because that makes it seem like, you know, they got to her place and then she was like, hmm, you know what? 
I have this idea. I'm going to hide you guys. And um, if anyone asks, I'll, I'll just lie about your location and, and whatever. I'll throw them off the trail, right? Um, and then, like, you know, should, so they hatch this plan beforehand, right? That's called a pluperfect in, in verse 4. They The woman had taken the two men, right? It makes it seem like she had kind of thought all this up. Like, you know, they, they'd made this scheme. And then when the soldiers show up saying, hey, bring out the men, that it's like, oh, she's just kind of executing her plan. But I, I don't actually think that's the correct translation. When you look at the verb in verse 4, it's a consecutive form that means, um, and then... She, like the next thing and then she took the two men and hid them so i think what's actually going on is that rahab is improvising um that that the, that the king sends people out with this message and then rahab sees soldiers at her front door so to speak and she's like whoa uh you guys have got to hide that they're here for you like here quick go get, like get 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 up onto the roof right like we'll, we'll throw this stuff on top of you and she runs downstairs and she's like Oh what what so no uh no they they left they're so I think she's like actually improvising in an urgent situation and doing honestly the best she can. Yeah no no that uh, and that also makes for a better drama actually as far as the, way the story's <laughs> yeah. unfolding. I mean I I, yeah. I, I think that uh, that uh, it is we don't really know what's we're, we're not totally in control you know this happens and you react. But 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 yeah. what she does, her, her her reaction is all driven by something very noble, and and yeah. I think this is where we need to, you know, always get to uh, what are the motivations, who is the one doing it, and uh, yeah, no, I think you're I, I think you're right there. And so in, in the end, the the deal is struck. I mean, it is it is really something what the man what the men say, like our life for yours, even to death. I mean. I mean, really, they're just showing reciprocity because she really has saved their lives. Um, and, and so in in a way, they, they are just being uh, they're just doing what's right. That at this point, like they should be willing to even risk their necks for the sake of hers, um, just if nothing else in reciprocity. Um, and, and they give they give her this um, this guarantee that, you know, as long as she'll, um, you know, continue to support them by, I mean, you know, they say not tell this business of ours. Um, I mean, like probably means like, you know, not disclose their whereabouts. Probably, I mean, she might need to go and soldiers come up at the door and she might need to come up with something again. Right. Um, but they say, you know, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So, I mean, everyone else in, in, Jer in Jericho is, is going to be dealt with in, in a very harsh way, but, uh, that she will be this one lone special exception and very how, how exceptional. Cause as you pointed, we're pointing out before our break, um, she becomes the ancestor of the Lord Jesus himself. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let, let's go ahead. We, we have um, the second half of the hour here to deal with the second half of the chapter. Um, and, and we start off in verse 15 uh, with the, 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 I think the most memorable moment, right? If you were just to paint a picture of Rahab and the spies, it would be this verse here, which is just is so is so memorable to picture. Uh, but we'll go ahead and finish out the story, and then once you kind of have everything on the table here, we can uh, look at the the whole thing in, in a little bit more detail and in the context. So here it is, picking it up at verse fifteen. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, 
Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then, afterward, you may go your way. The man said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they had said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So that report finally reaches back to Joshua after three days. Keep seeing that time interval appear throughout scriptures. Uh, but yeah, this this deal that that that's uh, that they kind of repeat and they nail down. Um, you know, you, you can you can just feel like this you know barter culture going on where like it's all about making deals and oaths and and swearing oaths and everything else. And uh, but what's so interesting is is how. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this is this is kind of reminiscent of like the Passover or something, right? It's like if you're in this house, the house that has, in this case, it's not blood on the doorframe, but a, a scarlet cord in the window, right? Then the angel of death, so to speak, will pass over you, right? But if you if you don't get in there, right, then, you know, your blood's not going to be on our hands. I mean, it, do, you, do you see a connection similarly like that? I feel like this is this is sort of like a, a pattern here that like there's this, this marker of protection um, that's being guaranteed that she asked for a sure sign and they're getting, and she's getting one. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I was uh, reading, uh, uh, Edie Harstead has a commentary on Joshua uh, that I was reading here uh, earlier this morning. And he points out two things. He says that no, no, no place in the scriptures does it actually explain the significance of this scarlet uh, yeah. uh, cord, but <laughs> that Christian commentators have from the beginning uh, identified this as signifying the blood of Jesus. And so it's one of these things that, I, I, that it is an allusion, an allusion to the blood marking the door so the angel of death passes by. I don't know how you can really avoid the parallel there. Right. Uh, it's just, it's just leaps, it leaps out at you. It's kind, of, it's kind of like Mount Moriah and Isaac, where the New Testament doesn't identify what's happening here as a picture of the atonement or anything, but it, it's so obvious that right. this is what's happening. So, so you have these little indications, but, uh, I, I I don't know. You ask yourself why that particular sign. It 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 would seem to me that this is 
directing the, the, the hearer of this back to the Exodus, back to the, uh, excuse me, the Passover, and uh, ahead to the, to the blood of Jesus shed for us, that you see the blood, and that makes the family safe. The blood keeps the yeah. family safe. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have a similar feeling that, like, on the one hand, like, it, it kind of just makes sense, like, you know, there there might be, you know, people hanging all kinds of random things outside their windows, right? Maybe just their laundry to dry, right? And so you, you want something distinctive. And so uh, you pick something that has a color. And, you know, it, it's like uh, someone told me once, you know, why, why is it that they used to paint all the barns red, right? And what what they told me anyway was that, well, because red used to be the cheapest color paint. And why is it so cheap? Well, because it's rust, <laughs> right? And so it's that it's everywhere. And so it's a, it's a really easy color. And so, like, why would you, you know, pay more to paint it any other color? And so maybe it's just what's on hand. You know, it's like, hey, this is a good color. It'll stand out. Um, it'll just put it in the window where everyone's going to be able to see it, even as we're coming into the city. So maybe on the one hand, it's just practical. It's what's on hand. It, you know, it makes sense in terms of like what a person's going to be able to notice and then like, okay, avoid that house. But, but yeah, like, you, you know, just, it's just, it's impossible not to read this, like only a few books after the Exodus um, and not see that, that connection. And of course, like that color red is, I mean, it is in the case of the Exodus tied to the blood of the Passover lamb, um, yeah. you know, and, and even and even, you know, it's interesting the way that they, they swear the oath when they say our life for yours, even yeah. to death. Right. That's that's a that's substitutionary language, you know, yeah. our life for yours, even to death. I mean, that's uh, that that's kind of like what the lamb was effectively doing my life for yours, even to death. I mean, that's what the Lord Jesus effectively swore for us, my life for yours, even to death. No, I think, I, I think you're right that the, the, this, the, the, the covenant language uh, uh, back and forth, and then the context of this, of this sign, um, you know, I don't think it's reading into it to simply to make the observation that, okay, this is what happened at the Exodus, this is what happens at Calvary, and uh but uh the uh i think that the 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 covenant theology that uh, you know god makes his promise he keeps his promise and that uh like you say life for life the the substitutionary uh, uh aspect of the of the uh covenant no i think so i it it's it kind of and you know, you know, you don't base you don't base your doctrine on what is 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 kind of like a sign here, but you sure sure can develop it to help explain uh, the 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 significance of it. So I think that it's uh, I think that it is significant, and surely um, the 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 fact that God is faithful to His promise, and the people of God are also then faithful to the promises they make in God's name. Right. Right, right. And, and um, you know, that idea of uh, you know doing things in God's name on his behalf, right? Like, I, I think that that's actually bringing us to a point that I wanted to make. Uh, there, here at the end, right, in, in verse, what is it, 23, finally we have Joshua mentioned again, right? The two men return, and they deliver the report to Joshua. 
And so it can kind of feel like, you know, chapter two is not really about Joshua. Like he doesn't feature very prominently. He's at the very beginning, he's at the very end, and that's it. But we have we have to stop and think about this. Joshua sends the two men secretly, right? He sends the spies. And, and we had to appreciate this. This is this is a reflected in the Bible here too, that in this cultural context, that when you send someone, they are acting on your behalf. And it's like you are effectively there um, and everything they're doing is an extension of you. And so we should be understanding then that these spies are, are basically an extension of Joshua. And so when when they're here and they're being protected um, by Rahab, that's, that's Rahab protecting Joshua. Um, and, and when they're having this deal and, and they give them this sign and, and, you know, it's like, here, put, put the scarlet cord. I mean, this is Joshua doing this for her. Uh, so, uh, I mean, of course, then t- take a look at then the New Testament, right? When the new Joshua goes into the houses of the prostitutes and gives them um, life and good news and a sure sign that they will see, which is his own blood. So, I mean, I do, I do think actually you see it that way, that you have this extension of Joshua, a, a prefigurement, therefore, through the spies, actually, uh, of the person of Jesus. And I want to give you a chance to develop that thought a little bit more, but... I notice we do have a question or comment on the phone here. We've got uh, Pastor Nabil Noor, uh, one of, of course, uh, one of our, uh, our our presidents of the of the synod, one of our vice presidents. Uh, brother Noor, thank you for for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts, brother? Well, hello, Ralph. Nice to listen to you. It's been a while since you and I talked since we were uh, since I was with you in Montana. But one thing that I wanted to add to what we have shared or what you guys have shared already about the scarlet cord, remember the great promise around God's kitchen table in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Uh, Both of you alluded to the Exodus motif, the safety beneath the blood. It is a sign of salvation redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. It is used very emphatically, you know, only the blood of Jesus uh, that saves, not all the blood of beasts. But the idea that this cord was used, and if you know anything about the Middle East, the colors is very pale. Uh, Buildings would be pale or dirt, mud-like, but the scarlet would stand out very well. And so it's an mm-hmm. evidence of God's grace among his people to show them that in uh, him and under his wings, there is salvation to all who put their trust and hope in him. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate yeah, um, it. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. And and the underlying, I mean, you, you, you've got grace is the theme. Wherever you have grace, you have atonement, the blood of the lamb, the blood of 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 the of Christ and the scarlet that Isaiah text actually flitted through my mind a little bit earlier, uh, but with the connection of the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so uh, it is uh, another another point that these these spies you, you mentioned earlier about how they represent Joshua, and right. you know so God gives His promise to Joshua, and then Rahab repeats the promise, and then the spies who have suffered 
you know, they had to run, hide, and so forth. They come back, and they say, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. They're not deterred by what they experienced. They know right. that it is as good as done. So I thought that was kind of a, an interesting... Uh, they they right. represent... Joshua, well. that, that, that's right. Well, they and, and you see that. I mean, you, you see that in, in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I mean, this is what you get in Hebrews that you know He He was calling out um, to His Father, but in faith, um, like the same sort of faith that Abraham had, the faith that God can raise from the dead. And isn't that interesting that you know they 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 go out and they they in faith, right? They go like in the midst, you know, like the belly of the whale in into the enemy territory, right? And they go and they hide for three days, you know, um, be, because they're being pursued. And then after the three days, they 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 make their appearance. They're among the people of God again. I mean, I, I mean, like you can't help but just like okay, three days, three days. Our Lord does the same thing after He um, gives us the you know the scarlet cord. Um, you know, in his in his blood and suffering, you know, he he hides, and then on the third day, he he makes his appearance again. He's again among the people of God. Um, o- only a minute left, but I mean, so many rich things going on here. But just uh, in the last minute here, just any any thoughts by way of conclusion, looking back on this chapter as a whole? Yeah, I just repeat that what what we have been saying about about faith, and of course, wherever there is faith there is the faithfulness of God preceding it, and the promise of God, and the promise of God uh, joined to the blood. It is not just a bare promise, but it is a bare, it is a promise with a substance to it, the vicarious satisfaction of Jesus. And you see all of this within this, within this uh, chapter here, and there, there you see the source of Rahab's redemption, or, you know, Right. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, brother. Good having you on. Hope to have you on again soon. Uh, Blessings on the new year here and the rest of your epiphany season. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Everybody, this was Pastor Rolf Preuss, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sydney and also St. John in Fairview, Montana. And Pastor A.J. Espinosa, until next time, everybody, peace. ...with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.